We prayed for your sermon series on Proverbs, uh, Romans. We prayed for the installation of your elders. So uh, we've been keeping you in prayer, and it's just such a blessing to have another like-minded church just about 10 minutes away from us. Um, Whenever people come to visit our church, and if they don't like my preaching or if they think I'm weird, the first church I will recommend them is to First Baptist of Hacienda Heights. Um, Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Jason have become dear friends to me. Um, a pastor's love language is books, and we have a hashtag PRG, Pastors Reading Group. And uh, so Pastors, Books, and Coffee does great encouragement to my soul. Um, so it's such a privilege to be with you this morning. We came here um, about the same time last year for my vacation, and I, I was, um, I'm the main uh, teaching pastor at my church, and uh, I preach every Sunday, so just to come here and just to hear God's word, it encouraged my soul for weeks, so, and I'm so encouraged that I'm here with you again this morning to preach God's word with you. Would you bow, and let's look to the Lord in prayer as I ask for the Lord's blessing upon his word. Our Father in heaven, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways, help us to look to matters of eternal importance. We pray your spirit would teach us your truth and grant us undivided hearts and ears to hear, for your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You will hold us accountable to the truth we hear and receive. So help us to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of Christ in your revelation. And we pray for these precious saints and members here. We pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Grant these saints strength with all power, according to your glorious might, that they may have endurance and patience with joy, with a heart that continually gives thanks to you for giving us your precious Son, who redeemed us from our sins, transferring us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. We pray for the elders here to continue to faithfully shepherd this flock as under-shepherds, and that this body would be built up in love and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. O Lord, we pray that you would supply strength and Give us love and reverence for your word. Satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may be full and our hearts would be full of joy and praises to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4. Our congregation is actually going through the Gospel of Mark right now. And the title of today's message is, Be Careful How You Listen. This is a familiar parable for most of you, but this is a foundational parable for us. And how you respond to God's word will determine whether or not you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. How you respond to God's word will determine whether you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I ask the question, why does God's word affect people in different ways? And especially on a Sunday as a preacher, you you really have to stand up here to experience what I'm talking about. Some people might be attentive. Some people might be tired. You slept late last night. Some people might be confused. Maybe that's the preacher's fault. Some people will be tempted to scroll through social media or check their emails. Other people 
will be in and out of the bathroom. Some people might sleep. I hope you don't do that today. Some people will be dealing with a crying baby or toddler. Oftentimes, that's my kids in our services. Some people will be convicted. Some people will be bored. Some people will be coloring on the sermon notes or drawing pictures. Some people will be moved and change. Some people, even at my church, will show up at the closing prayer. I don't encourage you to do that. Some people will not even show up at all. But not only on Sunday, but as if, if you've been following Christ for a while, but you think about people who, who profess faith in Christ. Maybe some of these people even share the gospel with you or some of your teachers in youth group or Sunday school teachers or maybe people to the left or to the right of you who are no longer walking with Jesus. As you scroll through social media, you ask yourself, what happened to that person? Why is it that people respond differently to God's word? Well, the parable of the sower, or I like to call it the parable of the soils because the focus is really on the receptivity of the soils, that parable answers that question for us. And like I said, how you respond to this book will determine whether or not you are a true follower of Christ. And this message applies to every listener here. Every single listener, this message, this passage is describing. So I don't have the most clever outline, but the outline is the parable illustrated, explained, and applied. If you want a more clever outline, look to Pastor Jeremy or Pastor Jason. Um, but that's, that's how I divided the, the text. Uh, so our scripture will be Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Jesus is conducting his ministry throughout Galilee, and he is in Peter's house, he is in the synagogues, and now he begins to teach beside the sea. And in verse 1, if you have a Bible, verse 1 says, And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell on into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. 
And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the reading of God's holy word. How you respond to God's word will determine whether or not you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. So first of all, let's look at the parable illustrated. Notice the setting. Jesus is probably teaching by, beside the Sea of Galilee, and crowds were increasing where Jesus is forced into a small boat, and the boat would have functioned as his, his pulpit. And he's teaching on a boat because the, the sea, some um, people say that uh, the sea would have functioned like an amphitheater. Uh, Israeli scientists have even verified that there's a bay of parables that can transmit a human voice effortlessly to several thousand people on shore. And, and notice Jesus is teaching. And all throughout Mark's gospel, we see Jesus teaching he is casting out demons, and he is healing diseases. But the, the primary ministry of Jesus was to teach the word, to teach the message of the kingdom. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Now, you have to, if you were in our congregation, we were studying the gospel of Mark. Jesus, he is, the, the religious leaders, he's escalate, they're escalating tensions between him and the religious leaders. They just accused him of being in league with Satan in the earlier, in chapter 3. And, and now Jesus speaks in parables to the crowds because, again, the crowds were just coming just to, to get a miracle from him, just to, to see what was going on. Jesus was viral or trending in his day. And they, out of curiosity, they, they wanted to see what Jesus was doing. And now Jesus begins to teach in parables and Commentators tell us that a parable literally means something that is placed along something else for the purpose of clarification. Uh, John MacArthur has a book on parables, and he defines a parables. He defines parables as as a, a simple word picture illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. So it's a it's a everyday illustration that illustrates a spiritual truth about the kingdom. And, and parables are not allegories. So, in other words, we don't try to read too much into it and try to spiritualize every single detail. Like, for example, in the Good Samaritan, some people have said that the Good Samaritan is Jesus. You know, the thieves that robbed the man on the, on the road, that's Satan and his demons. And the Samaritan heals the man with, with oil and wine. That's faith and love. And we're not to allegorize parables. No, par- parables were to teach a spiritual lesson about the kingdom. And it was meant to reveal truth to those on the inside, well, to conceal truth to those on the outside, as we will see later. In verse 3, you hear Jesus say, listen. 
Pay attention. Consider what I say. Behold. It's interesting, the word listen is tied to obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, people of Israel, they would have this confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might and with all your strength. So, so listening was, was tied to obedience. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Listen. Verse 9 says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The, the word hear is used at least 10 times in the parable. See, there, there's a way to hear and not hear. Or there's, in other words, there's a way to hear and not listen. I just recently traveled to Baltimore with Pastor Jeremy for a small pastor's gathering and and, you know, if, you, if you're traveling before the plane takes off, you know, the stewardess comes around and tells you how to buckle your seatbelt, tells you how to do the oxygen mask, tell you where the exit signs are. And what are people during, doing during this time? Pastor Jeremy was probably reading a book or had headphones on or something like that. People begin to doze off. You know, they're hearing, but they're not really hearing. That's a passive listening. And there's another type of listening where there's an active listening, the type of listening that you hear in an ER room. My, my daughter, my fourth daughter, uh, she was uh, born premature, and we had to take her to the ER. Um, she got caught a virus from her sibling, and because she was premature, uh, we had to take her to the ER because she was having breathing problems. And I was listening to every single word of the ER doctor because what that news meant was literally life and death. That, that type of listening could literally alter the, the, the direction of my child's life. And Jesus is talking about hearing and listening in the latter sense. So, so how many of you listen to the word of God like a passive passenger on a plane? Or how many of you Do you hear the word of God like an active hospital patient hoping for good news that will change your life? Jesus wants us to listen like that every time we listen to God's word. Yeah, you know, um, Pastor Jeremy and we love nine marks. First mark of a healthy church is expositional preaching. Well, the first mark of a healthy church member is expositional listening. Expositional listening. You expect the preacher to practice what he preaches, but the preacher expects you to practice what you hear. It goes both ways. And Jesus begins to illustrate the parable to it. He says, a sower went out to sow, and everyone would have probably understood Jesus' imagery here because this was an agricultural society. People made their livelihood on farming. They probably would have seen real-life farmers in front of them as, as Jesus was illustrating. Commentators tell us fields in first century Israel were long, narrow strips marked off and surrounded by footpaths, not fences or hedges. And the sower would, would use this broadcasting method, taking one handful of seed and, and then through his seed bag and then fling the seed on a wide path. The sower is flinging the, the, the seed and the seed falls on different soils. Verse 4, we look at the hard soil. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. So the path was where all the foot traffic was. 
I, I like going to Newport Beach on my family days, and and there's a there's a little a walkway where there's you know the you know the Ferris wheel and Balboa Park. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and then uh, I took my kids to eat ice cream, and uh, whatever was falling from the chair, the pigeons were immediately there to take whatever was was eaten. This is where all the foot traffic was, and so it was in Jesus's day. Then there's the hard, uh, shallow soil, verses 5 and 6. Other seed fell along the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, and it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it, it withered away. And the, the rocky soil is not just a bunch of rocks on the soil. It, no, they're, 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 visibly, there looks like they're soil, but underneath it, it's, it's a, a layer of limestone. So the seed is never able to germinate or produce because it's never able to take any roots. Verse 7, the choked, the choked soil, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The word choke means to mean strangle, throttle. Again, just like the rocky soil, the seed is choked, and it does not produce anything. And then verse 8, other seed fell into good soil and produced grain and growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So in other words, uh, there was a large return. And then as Jesus concludes this illustration, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the question is, are you a good, active listener? I just want to recommend a book to you, Expository Listening by Ken Ramey. Uh, it's an older book, but you pick it up on Amazon and talks about the discipline of listening. Listening is a spiritual discipline. And, and being a good listener takes place all week, not just Sunday morning. As, as you begin to meditate on the text, as you, as you pray for the preacher, as you, as you pray for your own heart, as you confess sin, as you prepare Saturday night, as, as you take notes, as you discuss the sermon, over lunch or on your way home or over dinner or throughout the week. Listening is a skill. It's a spiritual discipline to listen to the Word of God well. See, one of the things God does in conversion is not only give you new hearts, but He gives you brand new ears. He gives you brand new ears so that you can hear God's Word, so that you can hear God's Word and, and understand it and comprehend what God is saying to you. Hacienda, one of the most important things you do every Sunday is hear the preached word. Thomas Watson says, when we come to the word preach, we come to a matter of the highest importance. Therefore, we should stir ourselves and hear with the greatest devotion. The Westminster Catechism, question 160, what is required of those who hear the word preach? Answer, it is required of those that hear the word preach that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation with prayer, examine what they hear by the Scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the Word of God, meditate and confer on of it, hide it in their hearts, and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Do you listen like that? Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. That's the parable illustrated. Next, parable explained. Parable explained, verse 10. 
when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And Jesus would often retreat privately with his own disciples, in this case, his twelve disciples. The twelve disciples were the insiders, while the crowds were the outsiders. And he says in verse 11, to you has been given the secret, or other translation says the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But those, for those on the outside, everything is in parables. The word secret, like I said, is the word mystery. And mystery does not refer to some hidden knowledge only for the disclosed elites. It does not refer to some type of esoteric knowledge that only the initiated know of. It wasn't some type of secret knowledge. When the Bible speaks about mystery, it speaks about something that was hidden but is now disclosed. Something that was hidden and now disclosed. And in one sense, the Old Testament gave us types and pictures and symbols and prophecies. And in this case, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. Uh, one of the best definitions I've heard concerning the kingdom of God is by a man, a theologian named Graham Goldsworthy. He says the kingdom of God is God's rule over God's people in God's place. God's rule over God's people in God's place. We see that in the garden, God ruling over Adam in the Garden of Eden. We see that with Israel, God ruling over Israel in the promised land. Now, Jesus comes along and says the kingdom of God has come. This man has no military. He got a tax collector, some guys with anger issues, the sons of thunder. He got a, a zealot people who were trying to kill Roman soldiers at the time. And he says, the kingdom has come. Now you have no land. We're still oppressed by the Romans. What type of king are you? This is the mystery here. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come because the king is in your midst. The king was in their very midst. And what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament was now revealed in the New Testament in the person of Christ. He was the fulfillment of the types and the symbols. He was the fulfillment of the sacrifice. He was the fulfillment of the priesthood as, as the great prophet. And this mystery is that God, instead of judging you and judging me, because we rebelled against a righteous king, and we deserve the sentence of death and said, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has come to be born of a virgin, to live the perfect life that you should have lived and fulfill the law of God and die on the cross. The king who hangs on a cross as a cursed criminal, even though he had no sins of his own, and be raised on the third day that all who repent and trust in him will be granted access into his kingdom. And if you haven't done that, you can do that today. To turn from your sins and trust in the king because the king has come. And when he comes again the second time, he is coming to bring judgment. His first coming was to display his mercy and to satisfy the righteous justice of God. And his second coming, he will consummate the kingdom where he will reign over all of creation. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue will confess Christ as Lord. And he issues this good news for you and I to respond in this life, and even today if you haven't done so. You see, Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, 
indeed they, they may see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. In Isaiah's time, Israel was willfully rebellious. And, and Isaiah was commissioned to preach to a people who would not hear. And just like in Isaiah's time, it was the same in Jesus' time. And God's intention from the very beginning is that they, he would display mercy, that the people would turn and be forgiven of their sin. And those who have understood the gospel and have received the gospel, is not because we were smarter than anyone. It wasn't because we had the secret knowledge. It was because God gave it as a gracious gift. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom. The Holy Spirit opens our hearts. You see, the, it has been said that the preacher can only take the word to the ear, and the Holy Spirit is the one who drives it to the heart. And I love this as a pastor, verse 13. He said to the disciples, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So even the disciples at times did not get it. And it encourages me to be patient when, when even the disciples do not get it. See, that's the parable explained, the mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs with Christ, that Christ has come to save and bear our judgment. And rise again that all who repent and believe in him will have forgiveness of sins and be citizens of the kingdom. That's the parable explained. And now Jesus begins to apply the parable in verses 14 to 20. It's interesting that the, the parable is not necessarily focused on the sower, as I mentioned. It's, it's focused on the receptivity of the soils. And, and there are four different types of soils that represents everyone in this room. The sower is anyone who disseminates the word of God. Christ, obviously, is the ultimate sower, Matthew 13. The Son of Man is the one who sows good seed. And then there are four different responses to how you respond to this book. Number one, there's the unresponsive heart, the hard heart. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Just like Israel of old, so were the people in Jesus' time and people in our time. Uh, They just don't care what is being said. Satan snatches the word that is taken from them, and he uses lies and deceptions to blind their eyes. The Bible tells us the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to prevent them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. These are people who say, well, Christians are hypocrites. want nothing to do with them. Uh, they're bigots. You know, hasn't science disproven God? Aren't all religions the same? God loves all people and accepts us just as the way we are, right? God won't judge anyone. Christianity has oppressed and abused people. I just worship God privately or I'm just a spiritual person. See, these are people who hear the word of God and they reject it. These are people who don't care about what is being said. Sadly, it might be some of you this morning. And then there is the superficial heart, the emotional heart, the shallow heart. Verse 16, these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. 
The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. These are people who have an emotional response to Jesus, and they are just like a flower that blooms in the morning and easily fades away as the day progresses. These are the fickle hearers. These are the shallow hearers. These are the superficial ones. These are the people who are super enthusiastic about Jesus, but when difficulties come, they're no more to be seen. These are people who have come to me and say, hey, pastor, you know, I want to be baptized and be a member of your church, and then they go home. The parents say, what? Membership? You're joining some type of cult? They begin to insult them verbally. They come back to me and, you know what, I, I can't do that, pastor. Or, or maybe your friends say, you know, you're, you're really taking this Jesus stuff too seriously. You need to tone it down. Or, or maybe you work at a company celebrating Pride Month. Anyone who holds to that bigoted view of traditional marriage and, or that oppressive view of women where they are not in control of their reproductive choices, you see the exit sign. We want nothing to do with you. We, we don't want any of those bigoted people working in our company. You see, when external pressures come, persecutions come, these fall away because emotion alone cannot sustain hardship and difficulty. Brother and sister, following Jesus is not easy. In fact, life might get more difficult for you. Life might get more difficult for you if you follow Jesus. Helen and I, we are the first Christians in our own household. And, you know, Helen's parents, when we got married, she found out I was a pastor. She thought I was the equivalent of a Buddhist monk who sweeps trash on the Buddhist temple. So this guy has no money, this guy doesn't have a job, and you're marrying my UCLA daughter? And that was very difficult for us because they did not understand why we do the things the way we do. That was a difficult experience. And part of that is because we follow Christ. Whatever situation you might be in, there, there might be difficulties that come, whether in your home life or in your work life. Even you might be unequally yoked in a marriage that might cause difficulty because you want Jesus the Lord of your life. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, I have not come to bring peace on this earth, but a sword from now on a man's enemies will be members of his own household? Because the issue, the issue here is one of allegiance. See, the word uses it's, these trials and difficulties become a stumbling block. And let me just say that excitement for Jesus does not necessarily mean saving faith in Jesus. You can be emotionally stirred by Jesus. You can sing the songs. But when difficulties come, do you still hold fast to Jesus? In other words, when trials come, do you choose to remain steadfast and persevere, or do you run away from God in difficulty? And you say it's not worth it. A true Christian will run to God in difficulties and not run away from him in difficulties. As, as mentioned in, in, I think, the prayer, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, that you may be perfect or mature. Difficulties will come in the Christian life, and a true Christian will persevere. That's the superficial heart. 
And then there is the divided and the distracted heart. Verse 18. Others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And I think this one is the most dangerous one of all for us who worship God, who are even faithful or uh, regular church members. You see, no one from the outside knows that it's happening at times, but within the heart, the word is being choked by worldliness. And worldliness is just loving the things of this world more than God. Loving the values of the world that are opposed to God rather than the values of Scripture. We see that the cares of this world begin to choke the word. The, The word cares, same root, which means to be drawn in different directions. It's It's to be distracted. It's the simple pleasures of this world, which are not sinful in themselves. You know, Pastor, I I can't go to church on Sunday because I got to prepare for game six of Golden State versus the Raptors. I got to prepare for the people coming over. You know what, Pastor? I work all week, and Sundays are the only days I get to sleep in. And you guys want me to come at nine to Sunday school and... That's the only day I get to sleep in and catch up on chores. See, it's not necessarily the direct assault of denying Christ that kills a soul. It is the slow deadening of affections. The Netflix of the world, the Disneylands, the Playstations, the new girlfriend or boyfriend, the need to keep the business running, the next paper, the next exam. And again, none of these things are wrong in themselves. Please do not get me wrong. But what I'm trying to say is just living for the immediate and living for the present. All the stuff of life that keeps us occupied with just the things of this earth. Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read that book, it's, it's called Vanity Fair. And I'm not trying to make a radical separation between the spiritual and the physical. We, we're to enjoy the good gifts of God. I watch Netflix. I had a girlfriend who became my wife. But what Jesus is saying here is we are not to be so comfortable with this world where we begin to lose sight of the eternal. There's an interesting parable that Jesus gives of the wedding, parable of the wedding banquet, another parable in Luke chapter 14. It's an interesting parable. And in Luke 14, you don't have to turn there, but a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time... For the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Now that, that is a lame excuse. Who buys a house without inspecting it? Or if you're broke and you can't buy a house in Southern California, who buys something on Amazon and does not read the reviews? Another said, I I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go and examine them. Please have me excused. Again, who who buys animals without examining whether they are good animals or not? Or then another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Who turns down a wedding invitation to free food with your wife? You know what, Pastor, I'm just going to you know, go backpack to Europe for a year. 
and just spend time with my wife. And again, hey, go backpack. But I'm just saying, it's just, just the simple cares of this world where you begin to root yourself in this world. But this world has fallen. And there is a new creation coming. Nothing wrong with buying a house. Nothing wrong with making purchases. But when your only focus is the things of this world and not the things of the next, worldliness is creeping in and choking the word of God in your soul. That can happen to every, any one of us in this room, including myself. When you want to keep up with the Joneses, Worldliness, deceitfulness of riches. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In other words, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Just think about the rich young man who thought he kept the law of God And Jesus told him, go sell all that you have and then come and follow me. It wasn't wrong that he had riches. People were rich in the Bible. Think about Job or think about Solomon. What was wrong is that riches had a a hold of his heart. It is so subtle. As Christians, we must learn to be content with what we have. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be generous. Kill greed by giving to the local church, giving the work of the gospel, giving to missions, supporting a seminary student, supporting a church plant. Give and kill the idol of greed in your heart. Be grounded in the church. You see, the choke seed is the almost Christian. And you don't want to be an almost Christian because an almost almost Christian is not a Christian. You know, uh, I just love the Puritans because they just have a way of saying things. Uh, Thomas Watson, again, he says, the devil doesn't care how many sermon pills you swallow as long as it doesn't affect your conscience. You could be listening to your sermons your whole life and be worldly. That's why the prosperity gospel is abominable. Pray that the Lord would grant you an undivided heart to fear him. The undistracted heart, Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Don't be a Demas. You know who Demas was? He was a co-laborer with Paul. And then towards the last letter of Paul, he was in the ministry. He was maybe in pastoral ministry. And one of the saddest verses in Scripture says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Out of these four soils, I think only one is a true Christian. And that's the last one we're looking at. Verse 20. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixty and a hundredfold. In other words, the good soil is the receptive heart, the responsive heart, the obedient heart. The good soil is the saved Christian. This is the man who builds his house on the rock, the word of God. And then the storms come, and when it comes, it withholds or it withstands the storm because it is built on the solid ground, solid rock. And what makes it good soul is the receptivity of the seed. They hear the word, they think about it, they understand it, they accept it, and they persevere and they obey it, and they bear fruit. 
Again, I just want to say to you who come to church regularly, it is a dangerous thing, dangerous thing to be exposed to divine truth, be exposed to divine truth week in and week out and not do anything about it. I took two years of Spanish in college. Uh, my professor would never speak in English because he wanted us to have an immersive experience. I would listen to um, CDs going to school, uh, speak. Uh, in Spanish, um, in class, do homework in Spanish, and I began to learn some words. I could begin to listen to the radio and could hear some words. And, and now if someone comes to me and speaks Spanish, I will not have a clue what you say because I forgot it all. Because if you don't use it, you what? You lose it. John Piper, on a serious note, he says, even when preaching the word of God does not soften or save and heal, it is not necessarily ineffective. This preaching of the word may be doing God's terrible work of judgment. It may be hardening people, making their ears so dull that they will never want to hear again. Don't be cavalier in the hearing of God's word week after week. If it is not softening and saving and healing and bearing fruit, it is probably hardening and blinding and dulling. Puritans would also say the the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. You're either being hardened by this book or you're being softened and changed by this book. And the true Christian is the one who's being changed and being shaped after the image of Christ. See, the difference between those on the inside and those on the outside is how you respond to this book. Jesus says in John 15, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You will know if you are my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How will you know? Well, by keeping his word, right? By obeying his word. So for those on good soul, I just, I just want to encourage you when, you, when you begin to share the gospel, don't be discouraged in your evangelism. Our task is simply to disseminate the word because God is sovereign. And we're not in control of the soils. But that seed, that life-giving, imperishable seed, will find its way on good soil, and it will bear fruit. And that's some of you this morning. You're not a salesman. You're not trying to close a deal with the gospel. You're a sower. You're not a manipulator. You're a farmer. Our task is to be faithful to share the gospel we are not in control of what soil the gospel seed lands on. Don't be discouraged in your evangelism. Keep persevering and sharing the gospel because it will bear fruit. It will bear fruit when it falls on the good soil. And, and again, success, success belongs to God. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. As the Lord has signed to each, I planted Apollos water, but who gave the growth? God. Success belongs to God. Trust in the power of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, you know, if you could just summarize the whole story of the Bible, right? We were plunged into a world of sin and disaster and death 
because Adam had a listening problem. Eve had a listening problem. God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat, you shall surely die. And instead of listening to God, they listened to the serpent. And sin was introduced and death was introduced in the world. Israel, the prophets, spoke the word of God to them. Moses spoke the word of God to them. Instead of listening to God's word and his holy law, they were exiled out of the land because they did not heed to God's word. But there was an obedient son who listened to every single word that came from the Father. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled the demands of the law and died on the cross as our substitute so that he would grant faith to those who trust in him because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And as a scripture that was read this morning, the word of God will not return empty. It will accomplish what God will purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it, Isaiah 55. I think the most important lesson we learn in this text is the necessity of persevering in the word of God. Persevering in the word of God. You must keep this book close to your heart. You must hide this book in your heart. You must love this book and turn to this book when there are trials. You must die with the word of God because true Christians will persevere in the word of God. And we know that the good soul is the one prepared by the spirit of God who opens our, our hearts and our ears to hear. Ask the spirit to open your eyes to behold the beauty and the glory of Christ. So let me ask you, because this passage speaks to every single one here. Which here are you? The hard heart? You just don't care what is being said? The superficial heart, you're excited for a moment, but fall away when difficulty comes. The divided heart, you want Jesus, but he is not that important to you because other priorities takes place, whether it's the desire for other things or the pursuit of wealth. Are you the receptive heart that hears the word and obeys the word and perseveres in the word and thus bear fruit? Because Jesus said, he who has ears... Let him hear. Joel Beakey, he says, A sermon is not over when the minister says amen. Rather, that is when the true sermon begins. May the Lord grant us ears to hear and hear so that we may know him and bear good fruit and persevere in the word and thus prove to be his disciples. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your life-giving word. Father, we pray that you would teach us your truth. You would grant us undivided, undistracted hearts that we would receive the imperishable word in our hearts, the, the word that causes the new birth. So help us to put aside all malice and hypocrisy and sin and receive the gospel of our salvation and persevere in your word, knowing it is your spirit that keeps us and your promises that keeps us persevering. So help us to prove your disciples and bear much fruit, Lord. And may your work, the word, continue to go forth from this church, from our church, and that 
we would see that you would grant success in your timing because we know in the power, we have confidence in the power of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.